Welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. Welcome back to the Panoramic Outdoors podcast. This is episode 164 brought to you by iHunter, Canada's number one hunting companion. So in this episode, we have Rich or Richard Wong. Um, He is from the United States and he's somebody that I follow um, quite closely on social media and he is an upland hunter. So we're going to get into that conversation really soon here. Tristan and I chatted with him. But before we do that, um, Brennan and I are going to give you the little intro update. You guys have heard us talk a lot about iHunter pins and the fact that Brennan and I share iHunter pins and things like that. So um, as we're recording this, he is actually finally home. Um, He hasn't been home for quite a while and he's finally home and had a chance to get out in the woods a little bit. So... It was kind of fun to be able to pull up an eye hunter pin and be able to take him out there and kind of show him around and show him what I've been seeing and what I've been doing while he's been away. So I'll let you talk. Yeah, marking a bunch, marking a bunch of cameras, a bunch of tree stand spots, some saddle hunting spots, and uh, you know, night number one of going out there finished up. So it was uh, short and sweet. It's pretty good deer hunting season. Yeah, nice and. Nice to get that done and free up a little bit more of your time for other stuff. Mm-hmm, that's right. So yeah, I'm sure Brennan will talk about that a little bit. Give you some more details, maybe a little further down the road here when we get a chance to do a whitetail roundup with the other boys. The one yeah. thing that I was kind of impressed with was when we were standing out there. So most of the listeners will know that we wear Badlands now and um, you finally had a chance to try out some other patterns and other sets that uh, you haven't had before so what did you uh what what's that new set that you've gotten what did you think about it i got the uh i got the rise set from from badlands there and they uh you know i wanted some lighter gear <laughs> was the idea and intention was for early season when it was really warm but the uh the under gear that i already had from badlands kind of saved my butt a little bit but that that rise set was really good. I think it had the approach FX, kind of the darker browns and whites, as opposed to like a lot of green, um, which wasn't there anymore. Everything was just kind of dead. No, no leaves, no or no green leaves, I should say. Mm-hmm. So it blended really well into into my surroundings, up in the tree, down on the ground in the ground blind. You know, we we set up some sticks there, and I got climbing around a bit and got a little comfortable, and then. You know, down in the blind for that night's sit, it uh, it felt good. Yeah, it looked it looked good. Like when we were out there, and um, you had that those uh, sets on there. It was nice to see that actually, you know, when the when the leaves have fallen and there's minimal green left, you you do blend in quite well. Mm-hmm. So that's good. You know, I've I I don't know. I sometimes call myself a fair weather hunter. I like when it's nice weather, not when it's minus 20 and snow on the ground. So I've always kind of been sticking to that approach pattern and noticed, you know, how well that did for me, but you definitely need uh, 
more than one pattern if you're going to be hunting any time after you know the leaves start to fall and things like that Mm -hmm. that's right not much to say because we're actually at home together just in different rooms so (laughs) the 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 updates are kind of the same because we've been doing the same things. So we did get out for, uh, we did get out for a little waterfowl hunt there and Brennan managed to stay warm and I froze my toes and. (laughs) Yeah. We got a couple nice days of bird hunting in right before this kind of wintry blast. Southwestern Manitoba got out of the blue, not even Halloween yet. And we got, you know, more than a few inches of snow. Well, the farm there, I'm sure that won't deter the kiddies from going out and getting a bunch of candy tomorrow night, or well, I guess at the time of this recording, it'd be tomorrow night. Um, <clears throat> but you know that bird season was uh, was okay. Like, yeah, we only got two hunts, but we did really well in those two hunts, and we got out with some good friends and uh, had some good laughs. It was a great time. Right. Well, the only uh, other th- other big thing that we should mention there is our friends over at Harvester Outdoors. Um, if you're in the Selkirk area, they've got a nice little storefront there and are stocking up for ice season. And we've noticed on social media that they've had a few different sales on in the last few days here, trying to, you know, get a little bit of stock cleared out probably so that they can fill her up with uh, some ice fishing stuff before that season gets rocking. That's right. I think I saw they had uh, sustenance nets on uh, their Instagram. There just dropped yesterday, so or well today, I guess it would have been. Mm-hmm. Yep, I know. Yep, did see that too. And you'd mentioned before they had um, some gun cases, so you really never know what they're gonna post up for sale next. So if you're you're looking for anything um, or you're waiting for some good sales, you know, check out their social media and their website and. Uh, see what kind of sales they got on or stop on on by the store there and uh, check out what they got in the shop that's right sounds pretty good all right without further ado we will get into episode 164 with rich wong Um, we're going to be talking about upland hunting all right i want to welcome everyone back to episode one 64 here panoramic outdoors podcast and welcoming to the podcast rich wong how's it going rich uh, very good thanks for having me nice nice and uh can you let the kind folks the kind listeners know where you're tuning in from yep um uh, we are living uh just west of the twin cities here in minnesota uh just about half an hour from uh, minneapolis cool cool and we're kind of well i don't know how it is down there but right now we're kind of I don't want to say peak upland season, but we're kind of through quite the the heavy section of upland. We'll we'll definitely talk some upland today. Um, is it is that the case down in Mini there? Yeah, we are um kind of in the middle of things. We just had uh pheasant opener, what was it last weekend? And mm-hmm. uh we've been hunting grouse and woodcock since mid-September. Uh well, grouse mid-September and then a week after woodcock opened. So nice. Uh, we're into it here and uh i was uh able to head a little further west to start my upland season headed to montana this year so uh, got to hunt montana and then north dakota on the way back yeah, you I'll had be... a little trip there i did yeah we were actually about 10 minutes from saskatchewan so we were uh close to the close to the, the motherland i feel like it's rude that you didn't uh take a little swing up here probably should have probably should have Next time. 
Yep. Um, you haven't been on the podcast before, but we have to make all our guests suffer through the five burning questions here. And that's just a, a little opportunity to get to know you either yeah. away or uh, apart from hunting. Um, so like uh, one we always ask is if you had a last meal, uh, what would you be eating and what would you be washing it down with? I would probably be eating some kind of uh, noodle soup, like uh, Vietnamese or Chinese noodle soup. Um, and I would probably wash it down with water. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm allergic to alcohol. Okay. So, uh, drinking is is uh, out of the question for me, um, but uh, water is always a good choice. So. Yeah, yeah. Any protein in the the noodle soup, or what's uh... probably duck or beef. Cool. Um, minimal vegetables, some hot <laughs> sauce, and some green some green onions. But yeah. Um, if I had to maybe throw some watercress in there or something like that. Awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, okay. On to the next one. Then if you like in your, in your work or in your life, is there, is there something that inspires you? Is there, it could be a place, a thing, person in work specifically, any, any, any aspect of life, like what kind of keeps you moving forward or kind of keeps you connected? Uh, definitely family. Um, big family guy uh two boys and they keep me for sure connected and for sure my dad uh kind of connect you know to bring it all together just being inspired by my dad and who you know the man that he was and um trying to be that same person for my kids and my wife cool uh if you had a bucket list trip what would the bucket list or what would the trip be Oh man, any, I mean, it would be some kind of overseas hunt, bird hunt, um, Norway, like the Norway, Sweden, mm. um, some one of those countries or gosh, I don't even know if, if New Zealand or Australia has bird hunting. I think that'd be a, a for sure a bucket list. That'd be um, I know I'm naming a few here. Uh, <laughs> Patagonia I think has quail. Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Some of those uh, more Nordic countries you've named, I uh, always daydream of like chucking bugs out that way too. I feel like upland hunting and and uh, fly fishing have maybe got some things in common that they would go well together at the very least. Oh, for sure, for sure. Do you do any fly fishing? This is a this is just a bonus question for yeah. the listeners, but do you do sure. a little fly fly fishing? I do. We have a driftless region in the north or sorry, Southeast part of the state, um, some small spring fed streams. Some mm. of it's, uh, stocked, but we have native, um, brook trout, I think down there. Cool. Um, and so I do a little bit, I used to do more. Uh, I kind of got into bass fishing tournaments. I haven't done one for a while, but probably about 13 years ago, I was doing kind of local club tournaments and got into that kind of space. So I moved a little bit away from fly fishing, but, um, still do it once in a while. And I just looked it up here. The, uh, apparently there is a quail season down in Australia. So you better Ooh. go book, better that. Yes, book it up, set it up right now. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think we got one more on the queue here. Is that right? April. I can't remember. You got two more. Oh no. Okay. Well, I've got, we... I've got two if you, if you're. Struggling. Yeah. Take it away. Okay. I'm gonna, um, <laughs> all right. 
This one is an interesting one. So we call it, well, some people on this podcast use the nice word and some people don't. So um, my question for you is if you had, say Say it, it. I'm going to say it. (laughs) If you had a load of what we call fuck you money. So like a boatload of money, you can't invest it. You can't give it away to people. You can only like treat yourself, buy your toys, buy your trips. What are you going to do with it? Uh, I buy land out west. What do you mean by land out west? Uh, like a ranch, probably. Horses, places I can stretch my legs and not see people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only see pheasants? Yeah, only see pheasants <laughs> and grouse. Yeah. Um, I like that. Actually, you know, there's not a lot of people that I have heard when I have been on the podcast um, that say land. There's only been a couple, and it's interesting. <laughs> what is the what is the other common denominator? Is there something that you guys see quite often that people say? Dirt bikes. Mm-hmm. Dirt bikes. Helicopters. <laughs> helicopters. Yeah. Well, Big I mean, trips. I would I would have a helipad and a helicopter at the ranch, so mm-hmm. yeah. I don't even have to say that. You thought about this. I'm I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then I have another one for you. We're going to go to our, our common love of bird dogs. And this is going to be a good one. (laughs) I think it's funny. Um, if you could pick one breed and you can't pick Vizsla. Yeah. (laughs) Which one and why? So I've been asked that question on a podcast before. Um, I, my, my first instinct was to say, German short hair pointer. Um, and then I quickly rescinded and I asked if it's okay if I said wire-haired Vizsla. So I don't know if that's okay. But if that's not okay, I think I would pick English setter. Really? Yeah. So there's three. <laughs> that's the, that's basically my way of giving uh-huh. three answers. <laughs> okay. So where, where what what is your thought process going through that? Um, I think, well, just having, a Vis- having two Vizslas now, I just love the breed just mm-hmm. you know once once you're a visa you're kind of always a visa owner mm-hmm. um and i don't know too much about the wire-haired visas um but i know it'd be really nice to have a little more coat on them mm-hmm. and if i went if i'm explaining myself for the english setter i think they're just beautiful dogs um kind of they have that kind of romantic uh association with the northwoods uh grouse dog so yeah just I'm just kind of a simple guy. I don't have any really deep, deep answers or deep thoughts to that. But mm-hmm. um, speaking of, where is Handsome? He's right here. He's snoozing? Yeah, I can show him. I mean, the, the viewers won't see him, but hey, big guy. He's uh, relaxing on his bed. Here he comes. There he is. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. He he's looks so, so impressed. Yeah, he's not impressed at all. Yeah sweet boy yeah all right good boy good boy go back to napping yeah <laughs> go back to, go back to napping. well you made it rich congrats yeah. made it through did all right i yeah i thought april was gonna trip you up there but you did good <laughs> i actually thought i would trip him up too i was hoping <laughs> didn't work yeah. And so like, maybe we can chat a little, little bit about like where it all started for you and like where you, uh, figured it, figured out you were an upland hunter. Uh, yeah. 
I know it, uh, at least up here, not a lot of folks like identify as like, I would say like primarily as an up upland kind of specialist, but there's, there's definitely a lot of like they're out here. Yeah. We, used to, we used to have a history of that, but it's kind of faded as of late. But um, yeah. what was your journey like? So uh, I don't know if April shared too much with you, but I um, was born in Winnipeg, uh, grew up in Steinbeck, Manitoba which is, I don't even know, half an hour southeast maybe of Winnipeg. Yeah. Uh, and my grandparents were in Brandon, and we used to hunt uh, ducks for a long time. So I lived in Manitoba for about four years. Uh, then we moved to Minnesota. And then we moved to Calgary for another three or four years, and then moved back to Minnesota. Uh, so I grew up in a predominantly uh, duck hunting family. And when we weren't hunting ducks in the afternoon, we'd be chasing sharptails, which uh, I always wondered, but grandpa and dad used to always call them chickens. Is that mm -hmm. common? Mm -hmm. Okay. So there weren't prairie chickens. I mean, there probably were prairie chickens around back then, but we were hunting sharptails, but we called them chickens. Um, and they would, you know, send me into, into the field like I was a bird dog because we didn't have bird dogs back then. And I would be flushing sharp tails while we weren't honey ducks. So that was me when I was younger. Um, when we got to Minnesota, we ended up uh, getting a English Cocker Spaniel and started hunting pheasants and some pretty limited grouse. We kind of focused more on pheasants. And uh, it wasn't until after college for me uh, when I got my first bird dog and uh, kind of started hunting a little bit more even with my father-in-law my wife's dad had a uh Brittany Springer mix mm. and we hunted quite a bit together and decided it was time for myself to get a dog and the first dog I got was uh a Vizsla. so um that's where it kind of started and it's grown into a much bigger hobby than it was uh back then and... would you um at this point Rich would you like really call it a hobby uh an addiction is that better <laughs> i feel like um because i mean i i know that would you say like i've done a little bit of research and you yeah. have a photography background i do yeah um you're you would say a professional photographer yeah and yeah. like if anybody has ever well you guys will you will know now um, if you go on social media, Rich is, um, I always say whisk me Nord. I don't know if yeah. that's how you yeah. actually say it. It is um, it's supposed to be a plan words like Wisconsin and then whisk me North Nord. Yeah. And so whisk me Nord. Um, if you look at Rich's content, it is, I don't think I've ever seen anything on there that isn't upland. And if I have, I can't remember it. And you post very frequently all upland content or dog yeah. content yeah yeah so i'm like i feel like you're a little more than just a hobbyist <laughs> uh i mean it's it's a passion for sure um i do put quite a bit of time into it and uh it's just something i enjoy especially these last few years uh, and especially behind the dog mm -hmm. it's, all, it's all about the dog I wanted to ask about the Vizlas and like, um, that's not a breed that I've traditionally grown up around. And I've it, like, it was all kind of like either labs or Chesapeake retrievers or 
spaniels up here yeah. but but like what kind of like drew you into that that breed of dog and sure. obviously kept you around sure uh so the visla was kind of um I don't want to say it was rare, but so this would have been 16 years ago, probably uh, when we got our first dog hunter and there were, there were some around, but they were a little lesser known. Um, and for me, when I was picking a bird, a, a dog, I wanted, I wanted a pointer, um, but I wanted something different than, than what everyone else had. So I, I chose a Vishla and just kind of stuck with it. Is there certain like qualities of that dog that you've really come to appreciate? Um, uh, you know, I, we, I've got a setter over my uh, Irish setter over my way, and like I can even see like the differences in personality and and uh, <laughs> toned from from other animals. And uh, he makes a great family dog here too. But like, what 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 was it about the Vizlas that you really uh, came to love? Yeah, um, they have uh, you know they're they're labeled uh as a sensitive dog um and it i think that's can be you know specific to genetics but um they have a little bit of a softer side um they love people uh, they call them velcro dogs so they're always like this can be a positive or negative but they always like to be touched or leaning against you um or they'll put a foot on your foot like if you're doing if you're working or if you're doing laundry they're like always going to be there um, next to you so they're very loyal dogs very smart intelligent um biddable very i don't want to say easily trained but um there's a lot of potential for training um and then they're just they have great bird drive uh they got high gear you know they can they can go quite a ways um they they have a tendency to not range as far as some of the other breeds uh if you're hunting kind of the the open spaces um but you can find them that you know and, and that it's it's possible to get them the range a little further than that um so and i do quite a bit of of different types of hunting um so versatile breed is ideal for me but they've just made you know both of them so far have made great pets so yeah they're just kind of hanging with them awesome yeah um i know with my setter too like i've I, I run him for waterfowl. Um, we're still working on the upland stuff. He's helpful out there, but we got to get him to slow down a little bit. Yeah. Um, um, use the nose a little. He's just got a lot of enthusiasm right now. Um, yeah. he needs a, he needs a few more reps. He's three right now. So like he's yeah. starting to piece things together, but like it's been slow for going with the young family. And this is my first upland dog. Yeah. And it's a, I'll say it's a completely different style of training than what I've yep. been used to yeah. with waterfowl training. Yeah. It's it's almost like water, the waterfowl train. I don't want to dumb it down too much, but it felt like the waterfowl training was like kind of simple, like point the dog in the direction you want it to go and tell them to bring that thing back. Yeah. And for the 90% of things that happen, I feel like that's pretty successful, but to get a dog to like stop sure. and not move yeah. any farther, yeah. like that, yeah. that I'm not used to. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit trickier for sure. Yeah. So any tips are welcome on that, but yeah, obviously diagnosing a dog over the internet might be a little difficult too. So, (laughs) (laughs) and then I was wondering about hunting in Minnesota too, like, especially like around Upland. Like I know when we hear stories of like Upland kind of 
meccas or whatever you want to call them like i hear south dakota north dakota but like what's what's the upland culture like in minnesota and like what do you where where are you finding your success or kind of your your spot in that yeah so minnesota um it's an interest that's an interesting topic because right now uh there are a lot of birds uh both both pheasant mm-hmm. and grouse and woodcock i suppose but i've heard uh on other podcasts the question like why aren't more people coming to minnesota to hunt pheasants because this year in particular it's going to be a great year it is a great year so pheasants are are having a great year um you know the the typical range for pheasants are central and southwest um and then grouse and woodcock are kind of central and then all the way up to the north so we're we're probably like if I were to guess, we're probably better known for pheasants. Um, there are gonna be more pheasant hunters than our grouse hunters. But man, I I would put up put Minnesota and Wisconsin up against most states for for grouse numbers for sure. Hmm. Um I think it's it's uh there's just so many more nuances to that game than than pheasant hunting. I would is is probably why there's more popularity in the pheasant space interesting uh yeah i have two follow-up questions to that one is like if so if a non we we would call that person like coming out of out of state like a non-resident hunter something like that um what's it look like for them having to go let's say hunt a public land kind of like grouse hunter pheasant hunter they needing an outfitter or like can you go and do it uh kind of on your own and your own dime yeah, it's pretty open, just like the Dakotas. Um, you just need your license, uh, stamps. Uh, so small game license and a stamp, pheasant stamp. I don't, uh, that should be about it. There are some habitat things that you can purchase. Some of them might be, uh, I don't think they're, I'd have to look at the regs again, but um, some, some fees for habitat. But otherwise, um, public lands, lots of uh, federal, uh, county and state lands um so there's plenty of opportunities to hunt in minnesota and wisconsin cool yeah and then the, another I thing was i keep saying wisconsin because we have uh we have a cabin up there so i hunt quite a bit up there too oh nice yeah well that's a good option to have yeah for sure for sure yeah just send me the coordinates and uh, we'll <laughs> yeah i'll send you uh i'll send you a uh onyx pin. or you guys yeah. don't even, you guys don't get onyx yet it's coming though i think they, we have it. We, yeah, we it's we we we, we okay. use a different one up here. Though we use okay. a iHunter app quite religiously up here, I would okay. say. Yeah, I and I had a another follow up question because you weren't just talking about Minnesota, Wisconsin, but we were kind of going back and forth between pheasants and grouse there. And I've noticed yeah. as the further I dive into the upland community here, like there's a few different hunters out there. There's there's like hunters in general, yeah. and then there's the upland crowd yeah and then with within the upland crowd there's grouse hunters and those grouse hunters are like a dedicated folk yeah. is that is that a thing or am i just making <laughs> that, was, that up in my yeah i i think that's a thing for sure um it's a culture there's i mean kind of like i was speaking to the to the english setter kind of having that romanticism and there's a romance to to grouse hunting mm-hmm. uh, you know the smells the colors uh the the lead i mean it's just it's stunning country um it's a it's a bird that you know they 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 kind of 
cue the term the king of the uplands the bird is um it's a tough bird to hunt um there are regions in north america where i i think that the bird is easier to hunt uh some people call them fool's hen i don't know if if your grouse in manitoba are anything like that but um in in the great lakes region these birds get pressure and they're very smart and they uh are tough to to pin down for a dog and they're tough to hit um for a hunter so um i would for sure i would for sure say there are dedicated grouse hunters yeah i just finished reading hatchet okay and in hatchet i remember they term i think because it's like the it's based around him going up to northern alberta yeah i think it is uh, in northern alberta he's flying through northern alberta to get to his father who's up north and um when he is by himself he he terms grouse of i think it's fool's bird or fool bird okay yeah so it's interesting that you mentioned that because yeah he he talks about how he could literally grab it or you know like pretty much reach out and grab it just based on the way that he would move his body and i'm like i i don't know a single grouse that would let me get in yeah yeah it doesn't make any sense that ain't happening (laughs) yeah great book i'm reading that with my son right now i enjoyed it i it it was interesting i actually read it in one day i started reading it and probably got i don't know an hour in and was almost halfway through and then i just felt like i couldn't put it down and i was up till after 1 30 because i just couldn't i had to finish no you had to know i just had to finish (laughs) that's funny uh yeah and my experience has been like even um I've seen those birds that act dumb and like not shy at all. And then I've like this year we've hunted some pressured birds and they're, they're up out of the the bush before we even get close to them and they're down, down the line and you don't see them again. So mm-hmm. kind of seen both of them. Mm-hmm. I, I've, the, I've heard the, the popular tale of like, if there's two grouse sitting on a, on a barbed wire fence, you shoot the bottom one first. So, uh, so the top one doesn't, or the bottom one doesn't see his buddy drop. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, I've also like clean mist. I clean mist to not last hunt, but the hunt before, just cause they, they exploded out of the bush with so power. Like I wasn't so much power. I wasn't expecting that from, from, from a grouse. Like I kind of thought of that as like a pheasant thing, but these things just like, bow and yeah. they're, they're gone. So. They're gone, yep. And if you're not expecting it, then you feel like you could probably go and get a new heart. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, and they they were on the right side of me, and I'm a right-handed shooter, and the sun was in my eyes, and (laughs) (laughs) you didn't load your gun. You didn't. didn't Yeah. Take your safety off. Yeah. I like to whenever we um whenever we bump birds, I always I always like to um make it sound better for the dogs, and I just tell everybody, oh, it's just they were on the wrong wind. It was. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's not, the, it's not the dog's fault. They were just on the wrong wind. Don't worry about it. <laughs> what kind of dogs do you have, April? I have a short hair pointer. Short hair, yeah. Good old girl. We're finally, we're finally starting to click over here. Nice. We've never. She's seven now, and uh, she has never. I, I shouldn't say never. Uh, with um, a little bit of stern and raised voice and such, um, she will retrieve sort of after like 
mouthing a bird for a while and like thinking about it and considering keeping it for herself and stuff like that. So we've done that for six years mm-hmm. and um, we've never made it through force fetch. Mm-hmm. And this year, for some reason, just, I don't know, it was like everything just finally came together for her on her own. Awesome. And she, we've gone out three, we've gone out three times and she's retrieved like two hand or to, you know, a foot, two feet away from me, mm-hmm. um, all three times. Nice. So, were you, were you just curious, were you hunting with other dogs? Um, I use not this year. Okay. I have hunted with other dogs and I notice when we hunt with other dogs, she is, um, she, she is also very possessive mm-hmm. and, uh, like, especially like food possessive and toy possessive. Um, with other dogs that she doesn't know like with Anne um my good friend my best friend's dog Anne um is Willie's sister Willie's sister yeah um she doesn't like they don't fight over stuff the only thing they fight over is one bone there's a specific bone at Melissa's house that needs to be put away when we come over (laughs) I don't know why um so that's the only one but like so anyway when we're hunting with other dogs, I have noticed, especially stranger dogs, I have noticed that she will be possessive of the bird and she will bring it to me. Yeah. A little, a little extra competition. Yep. Okay. She really does not want anybody else touching it. Yeah. So, but nice. yeah. And so that was before, and that was the only time she would retrieve, but now she's retrieving without other dogs. So that's been, that's been nice. Yeah, for sure. It works. It works. Yeah. Um, and then I, I was wondering too, like with training the Vizlas, was it kind of like, was it, was that kind of an easy progression for for yourself? Had you trained upland dogs before and you kind of, you had your feet under you or like, what, what did that look like on your end? Yeah. So my first dog, um, we did, I did heavy, just basic obedience and he was fantastic. I mean, we, we, I really enjoyed that's probably the first time like I realized, okay, this is, this is something that I enjoy doing. Um, I know it's not for everyone, but I, I really had fun. Um, cause it was, it was completely new to me. I saw, you know, what my dad did with the other dogs and he was awful. <laughs> like he had no, he had no idea, you know, so I'm, so I'm, you know, coming from new and I, and I, I went to, um, a training facility training club where you did it hands-on with them that I didn't ship my, my dog away. So I got to learn it firsthand. And, um, so heavy, uh, basic obedience and then, um, jumping into the pointing world, I had no idea what I was doing. So, uh, took him to, uh, a trainer a couple hours out of the cities here. And, um, he taught me a few things. Uh, he, we got in collar condition. We did, um, got an introduction, um we did well we did we did color condition and recall so that was the first piece and that was completely new to me too so um I didn't do too much with my first dog hunter um we definitely could have taken them a lot further but that at that moment in my my hunting experience I just didn't know enough and um there wasn't a ton of resources at that time either that I could just you know, see on YouTube or anything like that. So I did what was, what could be done or what I thought needed to be done. And, uh, and we hunted him and I knew my next dog, I wanted to do a little bit more. And that's kind of where the, 
what April would say is the obsession kind of took over and um, now I'm 22 pigeons deep in the loft and um, training it on my own, training him on my own and he's doing great. So just the new guy trigger. Oh boy. I can see how that would take over because that was, that's kind of been my experience so far too. Like just like having my eyes open to like all that's involved in the, the pointing, not to dissuade someone from getting a pointing dog. You sure. can go still have successful yep. hunts yep. without owning pigeons and the, the pigeon launcher and the, mm-hmm. all the other remote contraptions that come with yep. that. Um, but it sure motivates you to, to take, try and take the next step. And all of a sudden you're, like you said, you're, you're a pigeon breeder now and you're yeah. <laughs> yeah. pigeon farmer. Yeah. 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 When did you become a bird man? Oh, I've always, I've always loved pigeons. Yeah. I do <laughs> love them now though. It's, it's weird. They're, they're like, they're like babies. Uh, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to, to say, but uh, they're, they're fun to have for sure. Do you have a favorite pigeon? We won't tell the other ones. I do. I do have a favorite. Her name is, well, I actually have not sexed the pigeon, but I think it's a girl. Uh, it's bright, white, beautiful. Her name is Sky. She's my favorite. She's very reliable. Uh, always back to the loft right away. Um, always flies. I can I can put her in front of Trigger and she'll stand there and he'll stand there. It all works out. So It's funny because like we're laughing about you owning pigeons. Yeah. but my dad owned pigeons um okay. when because i grew up in a short hair home okay and uh, i had a short hair pretty much all of my like we got her when i was five or six or something like that and she lived for 14 years i believe it was yeah we i remember having pigeons and we had a we lived in town and my dad had this little pigeon loft yeah and i never thought anything of it as a kid and now i just i think it's hilarious yeah <laughs> hilarious and cool and like yeah dad did all those things <laughs> did he use it for training or was he racing them no he was training yeah okay. they were for training her yeah 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 I remember being I remember being little and um we had this we had this house in town and it was a small place and I remember that mom and dad landscaped the backyard and we had a pretty small backyard uh they landscaped the backyard so that we had a whole bunch of like native tall grasses and stuff Mm -hmm. which i don't know if this was a plan and i don't know when in my life that happened because i don't remember i don't remember that part i just remember dad using everything perfectly for training her and like planting stuff in the yard that's awesome (laughs) and i i i remember him training her i think he was training whoa and I don't believe that he ever did barrel or um, like a, a wool post or anything like that. I'm pretty sure that my dad just trained her that like if she moved, he picked her up and put her back yeah. down. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's all he did. And and like just was so much repetition and so much that she knew. Right. Yeah. And I do remember him training whoa like one of the first times and picking her up by the collar and by probably like the massive amounts of skin that these animals like that short hairs just happened to have mm-hmm. um and like picked her up and put her back and i remember her like screeching and i because she like it was very it, it was like one of the first times i'm sure yeah. of it and she was like thing? whoa what's going on right yeah he's grabbing me and i remember like screaming and crying at my mom because he was hurting her and 
<laughs> and she was completely fine. But my mom was like, no, 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 it's it's okay. It's okay. They make noises. Dogs make noises. <laughs> and I was just like so upset. That's funny. If you're listening to this episode, we know you love local and so do we. That's why we're going to encourage you to check out your local co-op. Co-op is in over 600 communities across Western Canada with over 2 million members. Co-ops are a member-driven organization that serve the local community. You can check out co-ops for all your food, fuel, home and construction, as well as agricultural needs. A membership costs you $10 to get in and you're going to see that back in equity. You don't need a membership to shop at Co-op but you'd be missing out on all the equity and most importantly your say and how that company runs. For groceries, if you want to shop online, you can check it out online at shop.crs and select markets. There's hundreds of local products sourced and packaged all across Western Canada and even free cookies for children in store at the deli counter. If you're looking at a home and building experience, they have local experts available to help with any plant, large or small and free home and garage blueprints available for online download. Their gas stations are not just a great place to stop for fuel, but also for snacks and a recharge. They're available all across Western Canada, voted the cleanest bathrooms. They have full service at most locations and car washes at most locations. On the egg side, Co-op's been in the business since 1930 and has continued to lead the way and not just energy products needed for seeding, harvesting, and everything in between, but also in the growing inventory of high-quality products, including crop inputs and feed that co-op manufactures and distributes. Co-op's private label production selection is growing every year, providing growers with the high-quality products they expect from the name they trust. Co-op also offers a range of fuel, lubricant, and propane products, and also provides farm buildings, grain bins, bulk fuel, fuel tanks, livestock equipment, fencing, and heaters. Wherever you are, be sure to check out your local co-op because they have it all. It's sure rewarding. Like it's, and for me, it's a completely different style of hunting than I'm used to. Like I didn't grow up in a house that had uh, upland dogs. So like getting to see the dog work, actually I had a real special moment this past weekend. Um, we we have a deer camp that's up in kind of Western Manitoba that we go to every year. And it's, it's on, uh, uh, one of the larger escarpments in Man. Actually, it's the largest escarpment I would imagine in Manitoba. And, um, so, but where our camp is, is kind of where that agricultural land meets those Hills. And it's the moment I got Willie, like I thought immediately of that camp, there's about 160 acres there field that we, that I could run with them. We didn't get anything when we were up there on the field, but like I got to run them on the farm. And, uh, that was the first spot I thought of when I, when I had the dog. So it was pretty cool. We later, we went and hiked the power line and got a couple roughies, but, uh, to, to be able to run them kind of in that, like that, uh, it was enough, a couple of alpha fields. Like that was, that was a pretty special moment. So just like getting to work over an upland dog, now and and um, see the dog because it, it's a partnership right you you uh mm-hmm. you get every dog works differently uh you need to be in tune with the dog and obviously the dogs has to be in tune with you to some degree um and so like my buddy who whose place it was like he was also kind of in awe it was a pretty special moment for him too so 
just a whole new level that those dogs bring to your your outdoor experience i find there's no question there yeah no i think everyone would agree with that Um, I i think it's so much different too when it's your own and you've done work with it yeah right like hunting with hunting with our old dog was like special because she was my dog yeah but I didn't do the work with her, right? That was all my dad. And now seeing Rosie like put pieces together, like she's my dog, but I, I also did the majority of the work, right? And yeah. it's a completely different level of like emotion and yeah, just very, very special. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it was funny because like I could tell, like I was just by the way Willie was moving a few times it was like oh he's probably gonna bust those chickens if there's anything in there but then when the things do come together like like man is it's it's even like it's a whole new level it's addicting so that's why I could see like the the pointing dog to pigeon owner pipeline is like a very <laughs> very, <laughs> pigeon owner pipeline. <laughs> very strong pipeline I like that yeah yeah oh. Back to chickens. Why why do we call them chickens in Manitoba? Do, is there a history behind that? You know what? We do some weird things in Manitoba. Like we <laughs> we call walleye pickerel for whatever yeah, reason. There's yeah. there's there's not even a pickerel in sight in Manitoba. I'm trying to think of what else we do. There's some other weird things too. We if we have wedding socials. Like oh, so yeah. if, you, if you're getting so married, like everyone has to go to a party and there's cold cuts and then that party help fund the okay. wedding. The the next party that you're going to have. So yeah. yeah. Which is it's such a weird thing. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea why they're called chickens up here. Yeah. And just I feel this. like some people just call everything that is an upland bird of sorts of any kind. They're all chickens. Yeah. Doesn't matter what they actually are. Horse chicken, prairie chicken. No, well, just all chickens. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually think my dad's like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh he's an old ukrainian so i uh you know it's okay aren't you guys all ukrainians up there <laughs> well, quite a few of us if we had it my yeah. way we would all would be i remember uh eating a lot of pierogies growing up my a family lot. is um from like northwestern manitoba and um there's like a specific area that we call like past the pierogi belt <laughs> so when you when you pass there you get into our territory all you got to eat yeah <laughs> i was hoping to ask about montana quickly too because you mentioned montana um yeah. but like we had another gentleman on the podcast where he was, he was talking about how like i know a lot of folks think montana and there's like elk and mule deer headed out there and i i could see how there, there would be upland territory there as well um but he was saying like montana is also like this sneaky good place for waterfowling because that's what he was out there for was yeah yeah um but like is is like montana also like a upland destination here you're finding is that is that worth the the trip west there to go experience the uh the upland side yeah it's for me i mean it's kind of twofold i mean more than twofold but the the one piece of it is it's like the earliest i can go hunt Um, so their season opens in the beginning of September, um, for sharp tails and Hungarian partridge. And so that's kind of the reason why, uh, I've been to Manitoba or not Manitoba. I've been to Montana twice now. So just to get 
the season going. Um, but also, I mean, it's a bird rich environment. Um, it's stunningly beautiful. Um, you know, the landscape's much different than Minnesota. And um, so you're, you're kind of getting, you know, to kill two birds with one stone, no pun intended, but um, you know, I the, feel like the, you meant that one. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, but the, the, you know, you're hunting, at least the area we were in, um, you're hunting coolies and there's deep gorges and, um rolling hills and uh it's just i'm gonna go on my romantic piece again but it's just there's something about you know walk closing the door and 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 walking a a field where you can't see anything except for grass and and brush and watching your bird dog run the whole time you know in the the grouse woods you don't get to see much of your dog so uh, (laughs) it's a it's a nice change of pace um and it's just uh it's fun to hunt uh different types of birds too i was gonna ask do the obviously the dogs work differently out like from that habitat to the to the minnesota habitat yep yep well Uh, so go ahead april in what way uh well so i mean it depends if if i'm hunting uh i mean there are sharp tails in minnesota there's there's a region in the central part of the state where you actually can't hunt them right now the last few years. Um, and then the northwestern part close to Manitoba, um, there are a population of sharptails you can hunt. But I've never hunted them in Minnesota. Um, I've hunted, uh, so if I'm comparing um, Minnesota to Montana, uh, I'd be comparing like pheasant. Um, this is me personally. I mean, there's rough grouse in Montana too. But if if I was talking about prairie birds, uh, Minnesota pheasants are typically, uh, much thicker cover. Um, you know, I'm going to, you're going to be trudging through cattails or, um, blue stem or switchgrass. Uh, whereas in Montana, if you're hunting sharptails and there's crossover habitat, but sharptails and Hungarian partridge, they're going to, the sharptails are going to be in the short grass prairies. They don't tolerate thick cover. They like to see uh where their predators are coming from um and then the partridge are going to be by small grains um and in kind of those similar areas they need the grass of course um but uh so it's a little bit different minnesota uh hunting pheasants you can't see your dog but in that open country out west uh with the hills especially you can you get to watch that dog work a lot more than you would here and for sure a lot more than you would in the woods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's again, back to that addicting point. It's pretty, pretty addicting to see your dog snap back on a, on a dime and, and be able yeah. to like visually like see that, that dog lock in and never see something look so intense in its entire life. I feel like sometimes. Yeah. yeah uh, I always, I always, uh, whenever I think about that, I always wish like, like my, the people that don't that I know that don't hunt like colleagues or or family like wish they could experience it just to see like mm. what these dogs I mean they love even people that love dogs like I would love for them to see a dog do what it was meant to do you know what I mean like yes. why is this dog on earth it's to do this yes you know? it's... and for them to experience I think that would just blow some people's minds like how does it know how to do that mm-hmm. what it was born to do mm-hmm. <laughs> And they'll never yeah. be happier in their entire existence. Yeah. Like yeah. our, even our lab, our old lab there, like he would have died 
retrieving just a simple yeah. bumper, but he just loved it so much, right? Mm-hmm. It's so fun to watch. Yeah. And they little like I, I find the bird dog a lot of bird dogs will just like if you let them, they would run themselves to death. Oh yeah. Being in the woods and just like I there's been days where Rosie can like barely walk the next day. Yeah. And she's barely walking out of the woods to begin yeah. with, and she is still running. Yeah. Not as fast, but she's still going. And I agree. It's interesting. I've always had a thing about, you know, trying to um, foster or adopt hunting dogs that, you know, oh, well, they need to be in a fenced yard and, oh, well, they can't go to this kind of family and, oh, well, they can't go to that kind of family. And, and then, you know, and then you get other ones where they do adopt or foster out to hunting homes or, or breed knowledge homes kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And like the dogs just can actually flourish. Yeah. 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 They need these hunting dogs. They need a job. Uh, yes, for sure. And they, they're just better balanced uh, creatures when they have a purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Dog Willie's definitely like me. If he doesn't get out working every yeah. once in a while, he gets a little twiggy and you, yeah. you notice that at home. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, you need to let them run every once in a while or they get a little squirrely. Yeah, just like us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I notice that less with Rosie now because she's like seven. And I just noticed that she can finally relax and be content doing pretty much nothing for days on end if we yeah. can't get out. Whereas, you know, I notice with the with the red dogs, the mm. red dogs aren't really like that. Not yeah. yet, at least. He's still squirrely. But like... Yeah. Um, do you guys get leash guilt at all? Like when you're, if you like have to walk your dog, like in a more urban setting or something like that, like I, I don't feel... take her there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I've had the, there's been a few parks I've been in with Willie. I'm like, oh, sorry, buddy. got to put the leash on you. They don't, just... any, they don't get any, they don't get any, nothing against people that leash, leash and walk their dogs for exercise. They're not exercising on leash. They, they get no... Yeah physical i mean they might they're gonna enjoy it it's probably more mental for them but like physically they're not exercising yeah they're not Um, uh, unless you're um what is it called ski joring is when you're skiing with your dog but there's but there's um yeah there's like competitions in canada i think there's even competitions in manitoba that you can do where your dog just like pulls you along and you gotta stay on your feet somehow and they're running like full blast yeah that would be fun. I've seen pictures of it and I just, I don't think I can keep up. She's pretty fast. You'd <laughs> <laughs> be dragging me through the trees. Yeah. Which is funny. Cause I, I'm surprised that I haven't seen a picture of somebody like, if they're like, you know, trying not to fall. <laughs> everybody, everybody looks like they can do it just fine. You should try it. I should, I should try that one day. Mix that with the biathlon and then you, then you got a real sport on your hands. Oh gosh dog pulling biathlon yeah <laughs> i could could you imagine a point like i'm i'm not sure what i'm not sure how your dog dogs are with guns but if rosie hears a gun like she is wigging out like she is so excited i would never if i had a dog strapped to me i would never be able to shoot the guns in a biathlon is it mm. is a gun in biathlon or is it triathlon triathlon is the bike one the bike and, and the it- swimming and the is biathlon the one where they do the running and then shooting? Cross country no, shooting. Yeah. Uh, Nordic skiing. Yeah, that's right. 
You can tell that I know my. <laughs> Running and shooting is the army, as far as I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's funny. Rich, I had some questions before we we've kind of been on here for about an hour, but I we wanted to ask you some stuff about like photography and yeah and um I like I didn't actually know for quite a while that you were a professional photographer. I knew that you took really 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 amazing photos, and I will just say that a lot of your a lot of the stuff that you post and a lot of your content is inspiration for me to try different just do something different than you know just a a a bird grip and grin you know it's your page has been very inspiring to me for that reason so i'm just kind of wondering like how did how did that how did you kind of meld the two together or you know was it a day where you were just like i think i'm gonna try and take better photos (laughs) you know like so I, sometimes people don't, um, their work does not cross over to their hobby. Right. Sure. Um, and some people like just put those together effortlessly and it works. Yeah. It's a good question. So I, uh, am a food photographer. I don't know mm. if you knew that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I shoot food for a living. People, people pay me to take pictures of food. Um, and what's your favorite food to shoot? <laughs> Uh, that's a good question too. Um, <laughs> I like shooting burgers actually. Oh. Uh, they can be a little bit more technical. Um, so I'm, I'm using probably a little bit more Photoshop. Um, so it's taking multiple shots, compositing them, and then painting in areas that I want to look perfect, whether that's like a cheese melt or, um, one, one shot that comes to mind that I have on, on another Instagram feed, uh, is a, a burger with a an egg with a runny yolk and so to, to achieve those types of things where like everything is perfect and um you know the lettuce isn't wilted and the tomato has a perfect drip of water on it and the yolks are are running and there's a pool of of yolk at the bottom is typically not going to be done in one shot so for me i like those shots where there's a it's, there's a little bit more challenge to it and be a little bit more creative and and use uh the software that's available to me to to get to where I want to go. But back to April's question, uh, food photography is my career. And so I shoot um, in a studio and with artificial lights 100% of the time. And so Wisp Me Nord, my Instagram feed was kind of, it started um, not as an upload page. It started as a way to um, stay creative outside of the studio. We had, had purchased a cabin in, in Northern Wisconsin and was basically just trying to document life in the North woods and, and be inspired to shoot things that weren't food. Um, mm-hmm. Not that I don't enjoy it. I still thoroughly enjoy it, but just wanted, I don't, wouldn't say that I was trying to push myself, but just still be interested in photography outside of artificial lights and, and the control mm-hmm. that I have in the studio so yeah, so I so I started that page and it definitely morphed into the upland world. <laughs> so do you find it difficult? Do you find it obviously it's gonna be different shooting outdoors than yeah. studio? Yeah. Do you do you uh, have like a completely dedicated set of um equipment, like cameras cameras as well, that you would if you're going on an upland hunt and you know that you wanna take photos? 
you're yeah. going to take this camera or yeah. if you're shooting in studio, you're using this camera. Yeah. So I have, I have cameras at the studio and then I have cameras that I take out in the field and I wouldn't say they're dedicated for each, like I've used either or, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I will, I will bring it. It is, um, natural light is obviously beautiful, but it is, mm -hmm. it is definitely for me just cause I, I shoot so much in that controlled environment where I have hundred percent control of, of light. Um, you know, at the end of the day, like if you're, if you're shooting or if you're hunting and it's almost dark, like it's hard to get a shot. Mm -hmm. Um, and most of the time means there, there are some trips where I'll bring the camera actually into the field. But a lot of the times I'm setting up, you know, uh, tailgate shots or shots at the end of the day, um, you know, putting dogs up in the kennel. And, um, so it is challenging to work with the light that you have available, but it's a good, it's a good challenge for sure. Oh, I was going to remark that, um, just to, just so you're aware there, Rich, that, uh, birds are food. So technically you, you got two food <laughs> pages, but two food pages <laughs> actually that's a good point i never thought about that yeah but they're but they're but like you can't eat raw bird well i guess I mean, it is a, <laughs> it, is a step, it is a step before you cook them so yeah Touché. yeah uh but my my more serious question too is like to pick up kind of on the the angle or the 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 skill of of capturing an upland moment it's interesting because I was reflecting on this with my brother who also was starting to like dive into photography more deeply when we had the, we had the upland hunt that we shared on this past weekend here. And it's, it seems like it's almost like a tough hunt to capture in some ways. Like it's maybe to me, one of the most dynamic styles of hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, can I, I'm used to capturing waterfowl moments. I'm used to capturing big game hunting moments. Like uh, things seem a little bit more static in some ways. Um, upland, it seems like you're, you're always on the move and there's these big panoramic kind of scenes set before you. And sometimes for me, that almost feels like an overwhelming kind of amount of stuff going on to like distill down to a, a single photo do you do you have any tips for like how you like like to capture those moments or anything to hone in on here that that really helps set the scene to tell that story? Yeah, I mean my style specific like to your to your point is like I shoot with a with a tighter crop, so I'll use you know longer tell like longer lenses. Um, so I'm not necessarily capturing uh, mm -hmm. huge vistas of of. I mean, I did shoot some in Montana where I'm capturing like a, a huge coulee and you get the sense of like, you're very small and this is a very big place. But most of my work in in uh, upland photography is is tighter and it's it's focusing a little bit uh, more on the subject or, or what I'm trying to portray that's happening. Um, it's not such a not such a macro view it's it's a little bit more micro mm -hmm. and i i guess i'm wondering like how do you arrive at that process and, and some or like is there is there things that you cue into just because like to me when i'm at least my personal experience is when i'm doing the upland scene is like i'm i'm beholding the macro there there's that big scene and then like you have to have some some way like distill it down to that that micro focus say like and there's opportunities there within the hunt 
I'm guessing to, to display some of that. eh? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think just for me, just like when I'm shooting food, like everything is on that table, you know what I mean? And I have to, I'm not necessarily telling a story, but like if I'm setting a scene or if we're, if we're shooting a, a product that's, you know, we're trying to convey a message or a feeling of, of like buy this or use this or eat this, um, it's all told on, it's all told on like a four by four square. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my, you know, when I take that into the upland space, like I'm, I think I still, I still have a tendency to, to shoot tight. You know, I'm not mm. necessarily telling the whole picture, but I think maybe I'm able to, to portray what I did today in this small frame. You know, a lot of my stuff is, is more still life. Um, not as many people, maybe some hands. Um, so I'm not, I'm, I'm naturally, I'm not shooting like the big picture. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it does. But yeah. And I'm thinking to me though, you're, you're still telling a story in those shots. You're conveying a mood, you're conveying and part of that experience. If it's the hand, the, the hands are up to mm-hmm. something, um, you know, it's, uh, the dog is, if you got the dog like locked in on something or even just like curious, like the dog's doing something. So things like that, at least for me as a photographer, I find help like focus and give my, I shoot my worst photography when I don't have a plan or if I don't have like, if I'm not tuned into what I'm doing, like I just like randomly like snapping shots, it's just not happening for me. So to have a little little bit of like a target I find is like a really helpful thing for me to like zone in on. For sure. There's some photographers that are really good at just running gun. Like Mm -hmm. they could just, they, I mean, they probably take thousands, thousands Mm -hmm. of more photos than I do. Um, but there, some people are just really good at just capturing the moment as it happens. I tend to be better at, I mean, when I'm, when I'm working in the studio, I'm like, whether it's me or if it's an art director, we're like meticulously setting this scene. Right. And so I kind of take that into, into my shots too. So it's, it's not just like a pile of dead birds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be, you know, me honoring that animal that I'm going to eat, you know what I mean? So there's, there's intentionality to it for sure. Um, but I think there's also some, something to be said to the people that can just like run and gun and grab these stunning photos, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting too, like what everybody's sort of photography background is before they start doing this kind of stuff. Like, for example, when I started doing um, when I, when I was on some clothing teams or some like pro staff teams, the, the things that they would like you to capture and the way that they want you to capture a photo, say, for example, making sure that like logos are showing or making sure that zippers are closed and making sure that, you know, your mouth isn't hanging open and that there's no shadow across your face with a hat. Like when you're, when you have to pay attention to things like that. And then you start doing photography for yourself or things that you're interested in. I noticed that I can take, I can take a better story now that I sort of had that, that background a little bit, or that I was kind of forced into, into doing photos that way. So now 
for example, Tristan, when I showed you the pictures that I took uh, of my dad hunting upland like a few weekends ago, I don't know if I shared all the photos with you, but there are some photos in there that I kept for myself because I really, really love them. And it was like I took, uh, there was like a progression to them, right? There's like, mm. there's like showing the whole body and the and the whole photo and then like showing these specific little details because if I were doing it for one of those pro staff companies, I would have to take a picture of like the whole person, but then they also want you to take these detailed photos of, uh, you know, somebody pulling their gloves out of their pocket or somebody doing up a zipper or like putting a cell phone or pulling an item out of like this, this cool little hidden pocket or something like that. So all these like little details that they had wanted in that stuff, I start to like bring that to my own photos now. Yeah. Yeah. Being intentional. I did notice that those, those ones you shared, they, like I was struck by how like intimate they felt and like, like I felt like I was in that moment with you, you two. So that was, that was a, like a pretty cool experience on my end. So that's, that's what made me fall in love with those ones was like, as soon as I opened up my phone, I was like, holy, those are, those are fantastic. So. Thanks. I feel yeah. like that's, um, I don't know if you feel the same rich, but like a 50 mil, <laughs> 50 <laughs> mil can make it happen. Like oh, yeah. I was just saying to somebody the other day that like for me, 50 fill 50 mil photos are just so dreamy. And that is like the lens that I carry on that camera all the time now. And, and I was going to make that point previous, like in a previous statement that we were talking about, um, about gear was that sometimes I feel like you miss a lot of things too, because, um, I take, I like have my 50 mil on my camera all the time now. And there's just so much stuff that you can't actually do with it. Yeah. Um, I can like the run and gun is, doesn't necessarily always work because you're too close to people. You need to back up. You need to, you know, you need to make sure that this is in focus and like, I can never get Rosie coming back with a bird properly. And like, that's one of the things that I want to photograph so bad, but I love all of the other stuff I can get with the 50 mil and you can't just like, you can't just like take, take it off and put another lens and, on like while she's retrieving it's, it's not gonna work you, you need a couple bodies a couple camera bodies yeah we're work, we're we're working on that right now <laughs> actually can't take selfies with the 50 no right no. <laughs> not at all so what should i get then rich for a camera yeah gosh i don't know. I, I shoot nikon in the studio and fuji for my fun stuff so oh. uh i you know what all the like i can't say a bad thing of any of the camera manufacturers yeah. um, they're all making great cameras they're probably all using the same sensor you spend your money on glass that's all i can say mm-hmm. get good glass don't uh don't use your kit lenses i mean if you have to like i don't want to exclude people from doing that but um spend your money on glass uh buy a reputable camera company brand mm-hmm. and you're gonna be good you know i don't have the best cameras I like that. I don't need them. <laughs> well, and with people can't that... see me shaking my head. <laughs> uh, I, I don't mean it like that. I mean, like I have, <laughs> I could definitely upgrade my cameras in the studio. My yeah. clients probably wouldn't know. Like they don't. It's probably wouldn't know the difference. Mm-hmm. So well, I wanted to ask you before we we have you head off there. Like, what's the what's the rest of the fall looking like for you there, Rich? Yeah, I'll be. Um... I haven't hunted pheasants yet this year, so I'll be doing that um, 
shortly. Um, but we'll we'll finish up. Woodcock ends uh, the first weekend in November, first Monday in November. Um, and so we'll get through that and we'll hunt a little bit more grouse, but I'll be um, hunting pretty much just locally from, I don't think I have any big plans uh, after, I, we just finished grouse camp with some friend uh, with a friend up at the cabin. So um, be more family stuff and, and some local uh, pheasant hunting. Nice. Yeah. I have to ask you, cause I almost plugged a couple the, uh, the other week, but uh, do you have a preferred way to cook wood, woodcock? Do you have a secret recipe up your sleeve there? Like what's, what's the. Uh, I don't have any secret other than don't overcook them. Uh, I think they're one of my favorite game birds to eat. They're, you know, they're, they're, I cook them similar to sharp tail. So I, I basically cook them like a steak, medium rare, serum on both sides, salt, pepper, garlic, maybe. Um, but I just keep it simple. Once in a while, I'll pluck one and I'll roast them. So I'm searing it and then in the oven, super hot, like 500 degrees. I don't even remember, maybe like eight to 10 minutes or something. But nothing, really nothing special. Just keep it simple, stupid. They say that. Do they? Do we say that up north? Keep yep. it simple, stupid. Yeah. Don't don't shake. <laughs> no. I've heard that, April. <laughs> That's a bad word. <laughs> yeah. Yep. How about you? Do you have a favorite way to to eat them? No, I haven't eaten a lot. That's what I was asking you. So, but like I can resonate with the way you described it because I I treat my ducks kind of like that now. And yeah. actually, I've been getting into aging my my waterfowl a little bit yeah. more, just like um, dry aging it. I know that's a contentious thing, and I'm not a food scientist, so don't listen to me. But I found it's make a huge difference in the the quality of the the meat that I enjoy. So it comes out a lot more. To me, when I age it for a few days, it comes out a lot more like a steak. So like you said, I kind of then treat it like a steak at that point in time yeah. too. Do you process them first or are you, you, you hanging them whole, whole bird? I've been hanging them whole. So it's a bit of a gambling. Yeah. If you, you have to hope that there's not a lot of damage to the, the, yeah, the body cavity there. And so you might lose one once in a while, but if you make an educated guess, I find that you're normally you're pretty okay. Yeah. Don't it don't don't hang the one that came right into the spread and all three people shot at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or the one that's flying away from you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Well, Rich, I want to thank you for taking some time coming on. I I know it's a busy time of year for for the outdoor folk, but uh also want to wish you well in, in the field and uh just yeah, really appreciate the the journey you're you're able to take folks on with your your account there too. I appreciate. It. I had a lot of fun chatting with you guys, and hopefully someday I'll make it back up, and uh, maybe we can share a field together. Please, please. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You bring your dogs though, because I see them work. So <laughs> sounds good. All right, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Well, that was a great episode to be involved with there. Um, I've followed Rich for quite a while on social media, a few, probably a couple of years, at least now, um, back when we still had Hunter, um, his dog that he lost to cancer. Um, and it's funny, somebody had just, I've seen two posts recently about uh, 
Hunter just in the last couple of days, which was kind of nice. It's nice to see him. He was he was a good a good boy, one of the good boys. So, yeah, I followed Rich for quite a while, and you know he got his new puppy Trigger after, and have just kind of followed his journey with trigger and uh training trigger and all of the amazing adventures that they have so this i don't know this has been a long time coming this episode for me personally to you know get rich on here and have that time with him so i'm happy that we finally got it and uh you know i hope uh hope every everybody enjoys listening to that one um brennan before we sign off on this little outro here uh is there anything going on that you want to mention um not a whole lot but on the uh, store we have our blaze orange caps on for sale right now uh you know we got the orange two different hats two different toques rifle seasons are coming it's uh it's pretty close here and need to uh need to stay safe out there during rifle season when the orange army takes over <laughs> yeah that's very true um yeah so those are those are all up in the store as you mentioned and shipping should be moving along real fast with no issues so if you're looking for that and you want to stay safe like brennan said then you can hop on into the store and uh grab a hat or a toque yep drop us a line on instagram if uh if something's going on on the website or, or having an issue or if you're in the immediate area of nipah brand in winnipeg we can uh <clears throat> we can work something out to get you a hat yeah that's right good mention all right well if you don't have anything else i don't either i don't got a whole lot that was a really cool episode as a bird dog owner you know it was, it was really neat to hear uh to hear another perspective on that with another very passionate upland hunter all right well then we can uh say good night to our listeners and uh we'll hope to catch you guys on the next podcast